audio conversation with Christopher Knowles on October 21st. Hey, this this thing that you're about to listen to came about um, in this nutty flurry where Christopher Knowles and I were both commenting on certain things on certain Facebook pages and we were overlapping each other. And finally, I just emailed him and said, hey, hey, do you want to talk? Expecting that we would have a phone conversation trying to, to hash this out, what's going on. Uh, and this is all circulating around the events of October 10th in New York City. And instead of giving me a call, he said, hey, do you want to do, you want to, do a quickie podcast? To which I re- thought for two seconds and I said, sure. So... Uh, on went the headsets, on went Skype, and uh, what you're going to listen to is a sort of frenetic flurry of us just uh, uh, speculating off the cuff. Uh, In a funny way, I thought it turned out really great. I hope you enjoy. So you want to just try to make a little podcast out of this? I can edit it down and boil it down to something. Yeah, sure. You you lead and I'll follow. Because you're tracking this story more closely than I am. And I'm and not I'll... sure if I, yeah. You know, so I am tracking it, and uh, and I'm tracking it. I gotta say, from from a great distance, where I'm not really digging that deep, but a bunch of stuff has come up that I think is interesting. One thing that I thought was really interesting was that there was a. Uh, did you hear an audio interview with um, on some podcast? Oh God, this is so strange that there's this stuff gets posted so fast. But they found somebody who was a witness that day. And he, in no uncertain terms, says, um, you know, like, those were not balloons. I'm interjecting here to say that I found that clip uh, during the editing process here, and it's posted at the very end of this uh, podcast. So if you want to uh, listen to it first, you can scroll right to the end and listen to that. And if not, just wait. You'll, you'll hear it. It's about a five-minute clip of this guy talking about what he saw. Um, there's a quote well, let's from go live. him. Let's, let's go to tape. And we're recording right now. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so never mind, folks. Okay. So, uh, so okay. So it, you were saying that there was a witness there on the scene who is an ex-marine who's used to spotting things in the sky, and had said in no uncertain terms that this was not balloons, that this was something else. Go ahead. Yeah, and and uh, so I thought that was interesting. You know, it doesn't doesn't prove anything. And then did this guy did this guy identify himself by name? Uh, you know, I, I think there's a quote of him somewhere. Oh God, this is so typical of, you know, you start digging and you start clicking on things and Googling things and you, and all of a sudden your desktop is just awash in these, in these, uh, things here. So interjecting here again, yes, the guy does use his real name. His name is Chris and he runs a website called Polygraph Radio, which is easy to search out. I don't know his last name. And, uh, and there was a couple other folks that, uh, there's this one guy, and I can't figure out his name, and he has, a, he has a website called, he has a blog called UFO Disclosure Countdown Clock. And, yeah, you sent me that link. And, and that quote is on today's, today's blog posting. Yeah, you see, the, the thing that I, you know, raises the red flags for me is this whole idea that this all made the news almost instantaneously, you know, that the news is following this, the TV news, local New York broadcast news, is following this almost instantaneously. And to me, that this something just raises a bit of a red flag for me, because in my experience, whenever the news does this, it's always something that ends up being exposed as a hoax or balloons or whatnot. And of course, the very next day, 
after this event, you know, there's all these big headlines in the front page of the Daily News about this being balloons and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it's, it's like how many events in one day can <laughs> be throwing up balloons? It, it, there's something just very, very off about this whole event for me. And, and really even, you know, tracking it from the beginning that there's this, you know, NORAD officer who's in touch with these uh, disembodied alien intelligences and told them that there were going to be these massive flyovers on October 13th. And, you know, October 13th is such a weighted day symbolically because of the Templars and all the rest of it. And also oh, what's the, the weight of the day? I don't know anything about that. Oh, is well, that the original 13th, Friday the 13th? Yeah, the, the original Friday the 13th is October 13th, 1307, which is the date of the repression of the Templars by Prince Philip. But also... October 13th, I believe, was the first day or the, either the first day or the big showdown where there was, you know, 100,000 people there at Fatima. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, the whole miracle of the sun. And, and that was take, took place in the 13th of the month for six months in a row. Something like that. Yeah. So this is obviously a day that's very weighted in symbolism. And it's, you know, if you're going to sort of look for a you know something that's going to give you a little extra kick you know a little extra resonance you're going to look for a day like that you know the people who are tuned into conspiracy or esotericism ufology they're going to know that day yeah i mean the thing is, is it's the whole thing just seemed just a little too staged to me there was some festival and i think it was in times square you know, where they start releasing all these balloons. And that was this festival that was related to, um, yeah, with the Spanish capital, the uh, beginning of the construction of the Spanish capital's famed avenue, widely known in Europe as the Spanish Broadway. And so it was a, um, a way to increase tourism in the, in the city of Madrid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These, there's photographs which, which are on a, online here, and this is I'm looking at a, at a newspaper article here online from the 14th, so the day after the 13th, and sure enough, there are all kinds of pictures of in the background of uh, big clusters of bright yellow balloons all tied uh, tightly together, and they supposedly let those balloons go at a certain point in this uh, publicity stunt for... Um, <laughs> it's so for, bizarre, you know? Yeah, you know, it sounds like for the Spanish Tourist Bureau or something. Well, now, what's the background here? You know, the background here is the sort of constant drumbeat of, you know, we just had the press conference with the guys who, you know, released information that anybody who's followed UFOlogy with any kind of seriousness is familiar with these stories about UFOs over nuclear ins installations. And on the blog, I had covered this whole story about these flyovers at that enormous fire at the Idaho National Laboratory which is which is literally uh you know I saw the smoke from that fire out my house so I mean that's yeah. that's that's just a just a little bit to this to the west of me so then we had that huge story that the UN ambassador to the aliens and then, and then there was another royal society confab about extraterrestrial intelligence things like this then we have this whole story leaking out of the um the exoplanet, the twin planet, basically, um, that's 100% chance of life. And then the story with the signals uh, being detected there. But every one of these stories, there's always like this big controversy over, you know, there'll be this announcement and then there'll be a denial. 
like the Everyone, like the 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 woman whose name is you know Mothman. What's her? Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. The lady, the yeah. uh, Indonesian uh, scientist whose name is Mothman and was going to be the ambassador to to the UN's. Um, you know that was presented in you know mainstream newspapers, and then you know two days later, there was just like, oh no no that that's it's nothing of, at all of the sort. Yeah, but the thing is, is that there's once the headlines died. See, this is very interesting how this is all managed. You know, you have the announcement, and then you have the the big denial or debunking the next day. But then things get a little messier. Things get a little more uncertain. You know, it it drifts back towards this the middle of the newspaper, so to speak. You know, it's no no longer above the fold. But all of a sudden, you start to see, oh, maybe she was a little more involved in this than people are letting on. Maybe, you know, what's going on at the Royal Society isn't quite what the debunking the next day said. Um, you know, as far as this situation with the sightings in New York, I mean, here's one of the things that people need to realize is that there are sightings all the time, every day. They're being reported every single day. And these are just the ones that are reported. You know, I think Richard Dolan was saying something like this. MUFON gets, you know, 13 reported sightings, documented sightings a day. And then this is also this really interesting phenomenon where people will be looking up in the sky and they'll take a picture. And then when they go home and look at it, you know, their digital photograph on their monitor, all of a sudden there's some sort of object there. There's a disc or, or, or whatever. So this is all going on, you know, I'm saying. And it seems to me that if you were going to try and, you know, tamp this down a bit, you know, you would do something where there would be some big expectation, some apparent sighting, and then some major letdown. Because when you do this, when the media does this, and they've done this several occasions with other things, you know, the, the build-up, the apparent climax, and the inevitable letdown, what that does is that it makes people, it, it inhibits people. It makes people very hesitant to come forward. You know what I mean? Because the build-up just leads to, you know, humiliation, as it were. And this is what I'm saying. It's like instances like this, when it makes the news, it's just been my experience that it turns out inevitably to be some sort of put on. Now, there are situations like Stephenville and the Phoenix Lights where the news isn't necessarily covering the sighting. You know, they're, they're covering the controversy over it. And, this, and it's always much later. A lot of times it's, it's well after the event itself. You understand what I'm saying? And now that it's 2010, the, like the like the ability for information to travel around the world instantaneously, um, you know, they, they, whoever the powers that be, have to be really on their game and jump on these things instantaneously. Well, see, the thing is that they can't. I mean, you know, the, there is this idea that's out there that, that I find really frustrating. And it's this whole idea of omnipotence, this perceived omnipotence. And it's just not true, you know? I mean, people have this weird need to believe that there's some omnipotent power out there that's lording over them. It's, it's, it's almost a masochistic kind of impulse. But, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. People are gonna be exchanging information in all these different ways. The best way, really, that you can inhibit this and, and slow this project process down is exactly how I said, by creating false events and then 
you know, letting everybody peek behind the curtain. So then everybody feels embarrassed and humiliated and ashamed. Do you see what I'm saying? And and I think that there's a, I think that there's a blending between some of the false events and some of the real events. Like I'm very confused about that event that took place at the Idaho National Lab, uh, you know, the nuclear lab, which is out in the sagebrush of of eastern Idaho here, where uh, I didn't know anything about that, and I found out well, through you know your site. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you how that broke is that somebody was watching the news and saw a half second flash, you know, had somehow digitized that news story. And and they uh, were posting those news stories online. I mean, you can get, you know, post, you can get off that website uh, of the television station, you know, like the Little League, you know, game results in, in Idaho Falls in Pocatello, Idaho. But now um, that one story is, has vanished from the news services. Exactly. Exactly, because somebody it wasn't it, it leaked through it you know it somehow broke through because these guys are doing these stories all day long you know they're not going to sift through every single second that they're putting on the air especially when it's just something that just blips by like that but somehow you know that coincided with there were some photographs some interesting photographs of people you know standing on the ground watching these things hover overhead. Hey, Christopher Knowles, I'm uh, interjecting. This is this is sort of for you here. Uh, the site, that's what everyone calls the Idaho National Lab, uh, and they do some creepy stuff out there. Um, you know, they're making parts for nuclear bombs out there. There is a super spooky road that goes through there. It is uh, Highway 33, the same highway that is right out my door. This place is so eerie in... in uh, you know, buildings way off in the distance as you drive down this extremely lonely highway. And I will add that uh, every time I'm out there, I, all I can think of is like, this is like some scene out of an X-Files episode. Um, and I, you know, just thinking of you. So this is one of these instances where it's like something breaks through the gatekeepers, you know what I mean? But afterwards, it's sort of put down. Uh, I, I really, you know, it's interesting because there's this new book out that argues, you know, the, the whole argument that this is, you know, and you, you, I get this a lot on the blog. It's, it's, it's very amusing to me, but, you know, this is all just psyops. And so, I mean, there's this whole need to believe, you know, it's interesting because there's a need to believe on so many different levels there, you know, the people go, oh, you just need to believe in these flying saucers. Well, at the same point in time, you need to not believe in it. You know what I'm saying? You to, you need to believe in, in the, the um, omnipotence of, of people who you perceive as your enemies. So it's a very complex issue, you know. But on, when it gets to things like this, this sort of phenomenon, it's like be be extremely skeptical. Yeah. You know? and, when, and whenever the news is, whenever the TV news is is on the story almost instantaneously, be very skeptical. Absolutely, no question about it. And and my thought is is uh, and and I have no proof, and this is just absolutely off the cuff speculation. I I have not attempted to search out the sources of these things. This is all just a, uh, you know, dust from the internet that that I've you know accumulated here. What people were reporting was seeing basically was tiny lights in the sky, right? Little dots. They were far away. They you know no one's told stories of seeing anything up close. They some people said they were shiny. Some people said they were yellow. 
uh, some, you know, there was reports of them merging together and then staying frozen and moving around side to side. Uh, these things are all pretty easily dismissed by by someone who would want to just uh, debunk it. You know, they could just say, oh, you know, the eyes are playing tricks on people and you could leave it at that. But those reports did come through where people were saying these anomalous things that don't follow what balloons would be doing. Um, mm -hmm. If the government really has spent, you know, trillions of dollars on aircraft and weapons of war and things like that, I'm quite certain, you know, they've looked into things that would, you know, perhaps trick a artillery observer, you know, on the other side of the of the battle lines. So I, I don't put it beyond the, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, Will Smith from Enemy of the State, but I don't put it beyond the government to have, uh, you know, something that can can uh, mimic little teeny dots in the sky that do anomalous things. Um and I don't know if that's what happened or not. But the thing that I do think is very curious is that uh, presently we're living in a day and age where when news is released and when people report things, this stuff gets uh, disseminated, you know, with through Twitter and through Facebook and through YouTube and through cell phones and through cell phone cameras and through and this stuff is uh is instantaneously. I mean, it was very strange to be sitting here at my desk in Idaho and and basically perceiving this stuff real time on my little computer. You know, I would just sit here and click a mouse and then I was, you know, getting flooded with, with this very anomalous information. And there was a little bit of a sense of um, hysteria. And this is hysteria coming from tiny little dots in the sky. And I'm just if you know if they, let's say they actually were balloons just balloons nothing more balloons if someone is paying attention uh, i'm quite certain they're paying attention into how that information got shuttled around because uh, i'm just looking back to 9-11 which was you know a chapter of history with uh, you know people with handicams it was before you know really the age of the tiny tiny digital high definition recorders and then uh, cell phones and that's how the information got got shuttled around and i think that information was used to to benefit the way this whole thing was spun um now we have a whole you know it's merely nine years later we have a whole different arsenal of tools at our disposable to disseminate news and and i'm sure someone is paying attention to how that news gets moved around absolutely and look at how easy you know if you build up enough expectation and you put it through this amplifying you know it's like a guitar amplifier you know all these tools amplify this information and it bounces around and when you build up this expectation it's very very easy to manipulate that do you understand what i'm saying sure if there's it takes, it takes nothing less you know nothing more than a handful of balloons over over midtown new york to 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 produce exactly the result that we saw you know, what, if you build up the expectation, it doesn't really take much. You don't need Project Bluebeam. You don't, you don't need holograms and you don't need whatever stealth technology or, or whatever you want to mention. You don't need that stuff. If, if you build up the expectation enough, you know, it's like a magician on stage. You know, the, the tricks are always very cheap and chintzy and, and flimsy. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you've ever seen. Sure you know, magician's kit bag, but it's just, it's all junk, you know, but what they do is that they psych you out and they build this expectation and this air of, of sort of mystery about it. See, and this is why I'm saying we have to be like really super careful about this. Uh, and I would say almost as a general rule, 
to disbelieve automatically any of these reports in the mainstream media. And this is something I've been saying for a few years now, because there is this problem of people with all this technology in their hands. And like I said, there are these constant sightings being circulated all the time, you know, and certainly not in the mainstream, but in a growing subculture. The, the real issue here is the accumulation. You know, the accumulation of evidence is, is really what does it. I mean, one sighting, one event isn't going to make or break anything. It's, it's really, you know, science is, is accumulation. You know, it's the, the experiments being repeated. And that's the thing that really needs to be dealt with. Now, listen, this is all speculation on my part. But I was saying in real time on October 13th when this was all going on, I was, you know, I was telling people on the blog that this is, this is going to turn out to be balloons. Just, just watch. You know, and sure enough, by I think before midnight, it was exposed or, or stories were starting to leak. You know, I don't want to use a term as weighted as exposed, but it was already starting to hit the media that there were these parades and all these kind of things. You know what I'm saying? So this is a very, this is a very interesting event in a lot of ways because it sort of shows people's reactions to this, people's expectations of this, and, and, and in many ways how that can be manipulated. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I feel like I'm, I'm uh, guilty of being manipulated myself in the sense that I've been, uh, you know, fascinated and repelled by this story at the same time. Well, see, there's a, there's a deeper story than just what was in the sky here. The, the real issue, listen, when it comes down to all these topics about flying saucers, UFOs, whatever you want to call it, the real issue here is not what's going on up there. The real issue for us is how people respond, what it means to them, what it means to how they describe reality, how they see themselves and their place in the universe, all these big major questions. And that's why this topic is so fascinating. You know, they've done a really good job at ridiculing it, you know, at, at humiliating people who take it seriously. It's, it, it's been a wonderful campaign. And still people see these objects and still people will take it seriously. And, and more and more we see people who you wouldn't expect to saying, all right, let's take this a little more seriously. Because the universe is really getting much smaller, you know, it's particularly with all these incredible uh, satellite that we have up there, you know, things even beyond the Hubble. You know, these eyes in the sky that are looking light years, you know, thousands of light years in some cases away from the planet. You know, it's really making everything much more plausible. You know, as our science catches up to the science fiction, that's where the change happens. You know, we, we need to understand it on a practical level before we can sort of jump on board, you know, the extreme possibilities. And this is something that's, you know, Timothy Leary said, you know, we didn't understand... Um, the circulatory system until we had plumbing. You know, we didn't understand the nervous system until we had electricity. You know, and he said we didn't understand uh, the you know the brain until we had supercomputers. You know, we're not going to understand space flight, maybe interdimensional flight. You know, all these sort of things that would bring visitors to this little humble little planet in the middle of nowhere until we can do it ourselves, or at least until it's really on paper, you know, as something more than just speculation. 
and we're really nearing that point now. I mean, that's that's the case here. I mean, just today, there's a news uh, bulletin out that DARPA and NASA are working on a program that's going to send people to Mars to live. You know, it's already in the stages, the planning stages now. Um, so they're obviously getting very much more serious about this. You know, this is certainly a, a very long way to go between planning and application, but here we are. You know, we're in a much different world than we were two or three years ago. We really are. Yeah, and I just think just trying to shut the floodgates of this information down is going to be challenging. You know, it just seems like this information is being, you know, there's an attempt to manage this information. Well, you know, here's an interesting thing here that we hear a lot the day after. You know, the day after, the, the, usual, the usual suspects are always sort of wheeled out to, to do their poo-pooing routine. And their poo-pooing routine is always like, oh, why would they care about us? You know, if they had this technology, why would they want to visit us? You know, what's so interesting about this planet, blah, blah, blah. You know, but what are we doing? What are we doing with all this technology right now? We're pointing it at the sky. We're landing little crafts Why on Mars. Why yeah. at the sky? You know, to look at nebulas? You know, to, to look at space rocks? No, we're out there looking for our cousins. That's, what, that's the point of all this technology. You know, uh, you know, the SETI, a lot of people think SETI is pretty ridiculous. I mean, the whole idea that radio waves are the state of the art of communication in an advanced society is pretty ridiculous. You know, but that's sort of, that's what people understood 30 or 40 years ago when the program was set up, right? But what are we doing? We're out there looking for our, our twins. You know, we're, lo we're looking for mirrors of ourselves. We're looking for Earth-like planets. That's what's going on. They're not out there looking, you know, for other Jupiters or other Mercuries. They're looking for other Earths. You know, and if they deny that, they're full of shit. They're just, they're lying to you. And that may be done completely subconsciously, you know, that may be done no, just as... No, it's, it, no, it's not done subconsciously. Because what's, you know, listen, there are a lot of people who, who gravitate towards the science who are very antisocial people. They sort of want to just escape, you know, they want to deal in the world of impersonal forces because they can't deal with social interactions. So they want to immerse themselves in these sort of escapist, hyper-specialized vocations. But the people who are spending the money on all of this, you know, are people who are looking for other planets. The Vatican has a vast array of ob observatories out there and state-of-the-art telescopes, all this sort of thing. They're not, you know, they're not out there looking for space, dust, or black holes they're out there looking for other planets they're look you know they're looking for god basically you know i mean that's what they're doing and certainly the mormons i'm not sure exactly how far advanced the mormons are into all this but certainly they're huge into sci-fi and a lot of people would even argue that the basis of the mormon religion itself is science fiction you know i mean some people would say that look at Battlestar galactica for instance you know uh, in the Mormon religion, I mean, God lives on Kolob, which is a, a extraterrestrial planet, you know. I mean, human beings are, are meant to reach this apotheosis where they'll become gods of their own planets. So, you know, we're not doing all this 
spending all this money and all this technology and, and, and everything like that just to satisfy some vague uh, scientific curiosity. You know, this is all very deliberate. This is all very pointed. This is about finding other people like us, you know? And, and, and in some people, and, and certainly in the Vatican's case, and I'm sure in, in, in many other groups that may not be as well known, they are literally looking for God. You know, that they literally believe that God is out there, that, you know, the space is the heavens and, and somewhere out there is God. You know, it's interesting because when you see a little postage uh, stamp corner of the sky filled with billions of galaxies containing billions of stars containing trillions of planets, it's really hard to sort of wrap your mind around the old Judeo-Christian concept of God, you know. It, it just it doesn't make sense anymore. So it just makes you realize that these guys are operating on a different level now. There's no doubt in my mind that the Vatican is, is not looking for the God of the Bible anymore. They're looking for something else. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. I didn't expect our little talk to just, you know, get this deep so quickly. Well, see, this is the whole thing. I mean, this stuff doesn't resonate like this simply out of just amusement and novelty. You know, these issues really cut to the core of human existence. And that's why there's such a profound and deliberate effort to control the narrative here. You know, controlling the narrative is, is really why intelligence agencies exist. You know, there's this sort of James Bond mythology out there, you know, and certainly there is espionage, but that's really not the main thrust of of all these you know these alphabet soup agencies it's really about controlling the narrative controlling how things are perceived controlling how stories are framed you know and it all sort of reaches you know there's this very sort of interesting uh back and forth between you know the defense establishment and the media um because ultimately it's about controlling people's ideas of, of who they are and, and what they're doing here and what their relationship to power is. And the problem is that these strange objects in the skies that have been seen, have been reported, have been documented for as long as we've had writing, challenge the idea that there is an order to the universe as we understand it, as we've described it, you know that there's still a lingering sense in many people's minds, you know, that the earthly authorities are somehow ordained by God. You know, maybe not the whole idea of divine right kings the way we used to understand it, but somehow, and you read this a lot out there in religious literature, that God put them into power, you know, for, for reasons we may not understand, and we have to respect that, you know, and that's, you know, in the writings of Paul. I mean, that's, that's uh, I mean, you know, Queen Elizabeth, the sitting queen in the, you know, the, the, the country that gave us our language, you know, was put there by God, and that's, you know, that's... Yeah, I mean, gave us our language, gave us, you know, the whole idea of a parliamentary system, you know, uh, it's, it's really fascinating how much has emanated, you know, from England, you know, and then when you look back at Elizabethan England and all of these sort of strange folks behind the scenes and claiming to be in touch with aliens and, you know, talking about you know, John Dee and Edward Kelly 
and there are Enochian angels and all these sort of things. And what sort of grows out of this? What grows out of this is, you know, the parliamentary system, which almost every country in the world adopts football, soccer, the, the world sport, you know, the English language, the works of Shakespeare, the King James Bible. The Beatles. You know. Well, that's a little bit later, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's this whole interesting period. Um, you know, at the same time, these strange sort of personages are talking with, you know, this is, it, on, on the blog today, I have an interview with, with Jeff uh, Kripal, who, who has written a book called Off is the Impossible, and, and he talks a lot about, you know, Jacques Vallée and people like that. And this whole idea that you see a lot, that this is all some sort of mystical projection, thought forms, tulpas, you know, whatever people want to refer to it as. Um, you know, there are such, uh, not only a very widespread, but, you know, very much a growing resistance to the nuts and bolts. And it's something that you're going to see more and more of. I think the more sightings, the more evidence we see, people are, there's going to be this sort of, disconnect. There's going to be a cognitive dissonance where people are not going to want to accept these objects as nuts and bolts because it's too threatening, you know? It's too threatening to their idea of reality. You know, I would argue that if this is a, a condition that is as old as we are, that maybe that feeling of, of menace is, is a little misguided. But the point is, is that I think this is something that we're seeing more and more of. Certainly, I'm seeing more of this idea of thought projections, spiritual entities, you know, and then there's this whole UFO demon meme that we see out there. You know, all these sort of mystical ideas that we see are going to increase if the the actual evidence of the reality of this phenomenon increases you know it's 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 a human coping mechanism i think at the at the press conference where they um spoke about the uh, ufo's and the interactions between nuclear bases um and the whole thing was set up and organized by uh, the author robert hastings you know when he spoke he never said you know uh extraterrestrials from outer space you know he said extraterrestrials or interdimensional beings and and that was in a very public forum in a way that that uh, has rarely has ever happened there's been a few public forums but i just thought it was so fascinating that he made it a point to add uh, that little suffix anytime he he pondered about who might be in these these mysterious crafts to say that you know they they could be extraterrestrial or from another dimension yeah, you know, and I have a problem with that. No, what I'm saying is that Occam's razor sort of dictates that the, the the most obvious answer to this is some sort of extraterrestrial technology. You know, I mean, we don't have the capability of, of warp drive, but we do understand that that would be the best way to sort of bridge these interstellar distances. There are a lot of things that are being worked on. I mean, a lot of people believe that um, CERN is some sort of attempt to create a stargate, you know, to create a wormhole, uh, some sort of interdimensional or interstellar, bar you know, superhighway, 
You know, sure, you sure. I mean, we have we have that you know imagery in in you know Stargate Atlantis and stuff like that in our pop culture, as well as in um, even little kids TV shows have you know Stargates and things like that. You know, what are, are they actually going to step through that into another? Just end up on that that you know some planet way out there in the in the galaxy, or are they are they going to try to bring something in? I I I have a hard time understanding exactly what a Stargate might mean. I don't know either. But the thing is, is that you know heavier than air flight was inconceivable to us not so long ago you know sure um certainly digital technology communications things like this you know not very long ago in the grand scheme of things were just be considered magic you know i still sort of like this idea that arthur c clark put forward that any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic because when you start to look at things like the UFO phenomenon, whatever it is, and start to project all these sort of mystical and magical ideas, it's very, very easy to get lost, you know, very quickly into some very, very murky waters. Sure, and I, and I feel like I have been, you know, lost in those murky waters at times, you know. Yeah, I just, I feel like it just, I'm not exactly sure I should put this, but it just seems like that's more comforting escape for some people. I mean, I don't quite understand it myself. I mean, maybe it's sort it's, of like, sort of like, a, a, like a religious zeal that that's sort of associated with it. Or it feels like, you know, instead of uh, interacting with some sort of modern technology that's beyond our comprehension, we are instead interacting with something mystical. Well, maybe if, you know, if it's something mystical, maybe, you know, we can pull out these old texts and somehow feel that we can relate to it or deal with it. You know, if it's some sort of advanced technology, we're screwed basically. We're at its mercy. But if it is, you know, I think this whole need to make this a spiritual phenomenon sort of arises from this sense of helplessness in the face of impossibly advanced technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I will also say that on the receiving end of some of these things, um, in, in you know my life events I've had a couple fleeting experiences where where I've uh, interacted with something e- extraordinarily bizarre and it feels it doesn't feel like I'm you know uh, like someone's pushing a button in a in a in a machine around the corner from me it feels like something magical has happened so I think that there's just an inherent uh, like we're hardwired to to feel that awe that magical awe and I almost want to have like John Williams music playing in the background when you know to describe something like this as opposed to the click of a of a switch well you know when you talk about abduction phenomena you know I mean here's here's an interesting thing 20 years ago we didn't understand wireless technology we didn't really have let's let's actually let me take it back a little further than that to sort of the Betty and Barney Hill era you know, we didn't really understand wireless technology. We didn't understand how all this experimentation to um, induce certain states of consciousness by manipulating brain chemistry or electricity. You know, we didn't really have a sense of digitally created environments. It could very well be that, and it's very interesting to me too, that there seems to be this cluster of a you know the core of the abduction phenomenon seems to have maybe started sometime in the late 50s and sort of tapered off sometime into the mid 80s you know that that seems to be the core of this and that almost seems like somebody was testing something out 
once again I'm interjecting during the editing process um, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on the uh, literature of the abduction phenomena and what's going on uh, over the history of the last few decades and from what I've seen uh, both through the literature and interacting with people directly I don't see uh, that this has faded out the way the same way that that uh, Chris sees it um, it seems like whatever's going on is just as active now as it was um, in the 70s 80s or 90s okay back to the interview you know what I mean I mean it could have been you know terrestrial perfectly terrestrial uh, intelligence involved in this but at the same point in time given you know the, the extreme sort of nature of, of, of this phenomena, it could very well have been something else, you know, something else trying out ways to interact with human beings through sort of a virtual contact, if that makes sense. Sure, um, and, and it could have been, instead of trying something out, it could have been very much a deliberate program. Uh, you know, you, you, you run a laboratory at a, at a college bio lab, and you have a, a program that you're running, and you have some results that you want to achieve at the end and and you you know create a calendar and you run through the program and that program may mean you know the little lab rats have to grow up and you have to follow them for generation after generation but eventually that program is going to culminate somehow well culminate in the fact that it's declared a success or a failure and then... i have no idea culminate maybe in the sense that you know and now i'm paraphrasing david jacobs here you know culminating in the in the fact that you know there are potentially alien human hybrids that are have uh, achieved the, the state they want them to achieve whether that means they're living among us or they're or they're you know populating some mothership on the opposite side of jupiter i can't answer either of those but uh um that's his outlook on it that this is not a uh, uh just some some scientists collecting data this is a, an out and out program no i mean i'm familiar with his, his work i'm familiar with all that again i mean here's the thing it's those murky waters again um, you're going to see a whole host of different explanations for that. You know, certainly the non-nuts and bolts, non-ET uh, explanation is, is is really vogue right now. It's 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 very fashionable. That could change. Uh, it actually probably certainly will change. But the thing is, is that unless you're really dealing with coherent evidence, you know. And, and evidence that you can really argue about and deal with, to me, I think it's it's dangerous to make any definitive um, conclusions about what's going on. Absolutely, because, absolutely. You know what I mean? Saying, I mean, whether, and that is whether it's it's nuts and bolts or whether it's UFO demons or whether it's interdimensional tulpas. Whatever you want to call it, to me, the most important thing is to stay very open because we tend as human beings to want to make decisions quickly. We want to define things quickly. We want to put things away quickly. That is a mistake, I believe. I think that the best approach to any unknown variables is to keep the question mark at the end, you know, every one of your conclusions should have a question mark at the end of it, you know, and maybe people say this is a cop out. I, I, I don't see it that way. I've had, you know, situations in my own life that I labeled 
a certain way. And, you know, sometime later when I would learn new things from other people or what have you, then I would suddenly see that, that how I described a certain event in my life was completely different than what actually happened. Do you understand what I'm saying? With something, you know, we don't have access to these craft, whatever they are. We don't have access to who's piloting them, or, you know, you and I don't. Maybe there are people who do. I'm, I'm not quite sure of that either. But that's why I think it's very important to sort of, especially in situations like this, where I would, I would argue that my hypothesis is about this October 13th situation, that this was a deliberate test to determine how people would respond to this buildup of expectation, this event, and then the inevitable denial debunking afterwards. So if you put yourself, you know, you allow yourself to be put into the straitjacket that, that they have ready for you, you know, you're going to lose credibility. Um, and it's going to be very difficult to communicate with people, you know, about your feelings or your observations or your experiences uh, after that. And that's why I think that, you know, these, these situations are designed to do that. You know, again, that is a, a speculation and I will put a sort of question mark that that is a theory. But I think given the background, given the track record of these kind of events, I think it's a pretty, pretty solid theory. And these these events have have come rapid fire in just the last you know less than three months, uh, so so this is fascinating that this has happened so uh, you know the frenetic speed of these events one after another. Well, people are paying attention now, you know, uh, increasingly, and I, I think that people, and, and most people, I don't think are necessarily going to be discouraged by this event. You know, maybe certain people whose curiosity is, is pretty shallow, will just sort of tune out. But I, I you know, we're by no means at the end of this process. I think we're still at the very beginning. And again, it's going to be our science, our technology, that's going to be driving a lot of our speculations about this whole experience that we've had for several thousand years now. Yeah, you know, one of the ways I entered this whole thing here, just these, the, the initial reports that showed up is, is, um, I had a um, a friend, and she sat in a uh, UFO conference, and she happened to be sitting next to John Mack, who she had met and worked with. And the presenter had video footage that they were showing, and I think it was video footage from Mexico City, and it was these little teeny white dots in the sky, these little teeny dots in the sky. And here's, uh, you know, these people, you know, the, the person that I know, and then John Mack, both of, you know, the researcher and then the person who's had... Uh, you know, what amounts to, you know, face-to-face -face interactions with something from another realm. And they both, you know, John Mack basically sighed at this video footage and said, you know, haven't we moved beyond little dots in the sky? And and I sort of, uh, when, when this whole thing started happening, uh, you know, late in the afternoon when I sort of stumbled on this stuff on Wednesday the 13th of October, that was, that just sort of, hung in the back of my mind you know it was these people on a street corner kind of looking up in the you know the video footage from the network news sources were these people standing on a corner kind of going huh 
you know they were looking at dots so tiny that they were that they weren't you know it wasn't like some scene out of war of the worlds let me put it that way well, you know, there's an interesting point to be made here, because if the if this was in fact some terrestrial manipulation, wouldn't they do a little bit better job at it? Wouldn't they try and put on a little bit more convincing show? Wouldn't they give you more of a show, you know, more of a, a presentation, you know, th if in fact they do have these craft? Wouldn't they, you know? buzz them around Times Square, perhaps? I mean, you know, I, you know it wouldn't take much at all to, to uh, you It know. wouldn't, it, it, you know, if look it, if balloons got this reaction that it got, just imagine, you know, what any sort of black skunk works projects they have kicking around could do. See, this is why I have a hard time buying into these arguments, you know, because if in fact this is something that, you know, understands that it will be recognized, but doesn't really want to be recognized, but you know what I mean? It's not going out of its way to, to, to make contact with us. It understands that we have the technology by, by now to sort of record its comings and goings, but it also understands that there's nothing we can really do about it. I mean, that's, that's sort of how this thing behaves, doesn't it? You know what I mean? It doesn't behave like a deliberate manipulation. It sort of behaves like basically a reconnaissance operation that isn't terribly concerned with the opinions of the people that it's observing. That's basically how this thing behaves, you know, for the most part. You know, we do have stories of contact, you know, throughout history, we do have stories of abductions, but for the, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, what we're seeing here is we're seeing craft sort of flying around, watching us, once in a while sort of interacting with military or nuclear or whatever installations, uh, you know, for whatever reasons we can only guess at, probably, in, you know, in order to discourage interference, you know, on the part of the people on the ground. But really what this thing behaves like is a reconnaissance mission. And, and this is where, this is, I know I have a hard time with this type of, because I've read a lot, oh my gosh, and you know, there's, there's a, Jacques Vallée talks a lot, and, and Mac Tony's in his book, talks a lot about the fact that the, in a way these things don't, perform that way they perform instead like uh like they're theatrical they're somehow performing in a way uh that that's mimicking us and i'm very cautious anytime we sort of anthropomorphize this this phenomena uh, well they, and let me here's what i would say in, in, in response to that is that people's perceptions of an event change according to their own mental states you understand what I'm saying? It's like, sure, sure. You know, you you hear a lot about people who have a lot of experience with mushrooms, LSD, et cetera, et cetera, who you know begin to sort of perceive these things more readily than other people who have not, and then they start start to sort of feel as if there is some sort of interaction here. I mean, a great example of this. And I'd recommend to people, uh, you know, to really get a sense of what I'm talking about here is the book Uri. It's about Uri Geller by Andrei Poharich. And he sort of talks about him, he and Geller driving around Israel and seeing saucers that nobody else sees and things hovering over their heads and, and, and things like that. You know, it's, it's very interesting that perception plays a lot into this. You know, that he, he described that he and Uri Geller were sitting there on the side of the road watching these UFOs hover 
100 or 200 feet away from them that you know soldiers would drive up to them and ask them what they were doing and they said you know we were looking at that stuff over there you know those two ufos and they'd be like you're crazy there's nothing there so i mean it could well be you know that what you're referring to is part of is part of how our perceptions are altered by this do you understand what i'm saying absolutely I mean, yeah you know with the things that you're describing are not really the meat and potatoes of this. I mean, really, most of the information that I've been reading is just basically of sightings, of, of aircraft just sort of doing their thing. Um, it's interesting that a lot of the sort of sightings and a lot of this information that you're referring to with people, you know, the stuff that Mac Tonys is, was referring to and the stuff that uh, Jacques Vallée is referring to sort of happen at this whole period when people are experimenting with LSD and psychedelics. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of amusing that, that, that the two coincided. But if you go back in history, that's not unusual at all. It's, it's, it's something that goes back a very long time. You know, that the, these two phenomena seem to be very closely related. Hey, have, do you listen to the interview with uh, Adam Gorightly? Not yet, no. Ah, okay, because you're paraphrasing it right there, just what you just said in that last few sentences. Oh, but anyway, go on. Well, I mean, I've, I've heard him speak on this before, but, but, you know, it's interesting that, you know, perception seems to play a very large part in this, and, and that's another thing that's going to be changing here is our perception. Um, you know, the perception of the digital camera versus the chemical camera. You know, the photochemical camera didn't seem to perceive these objects as well as digital cameras seem to, you know, how, whatever the, the photographic process is that's, that's controlling this. Um, but, you know, I mean, I really do have to say that my interpretation of this is different than a Jacques Vallée. And listen, I know Jacques. Mm -hmm. I've had conversations with Jacques. You know, I've listened to private presentations from Jacques. Jacques is much more of a mystic than, than people really give him credit for. He does have a very heavy uh, background in computer programming and things like this, and, and I, I believe he was also an astronomer. But he's very much of a much more sort of mystical mindset than, than people might ordinarily believe. So that's also going to color his perceptions. And this is what I'm saying, is that perception plays a large part in this, you know, that this, this and, and that to me is the inevitable outcome of something that is about variables and unknowns. Perception controls how we perceive those unknowns because we take our experiences and our, our mental baggage into that process, you know, that, that who we are, you know, becomes part of the interpretive process of that. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? So, yeah, yes, people who are more mystically inclined are going to naturally interpret unknowns and variables in a mystical mindset. People who are more scientifically minded are going to see this more as a technological phenomenon. I'm thinking of people like Stan Friedman. Sure, sure. And I think you know both of I those mean? are valid, and I can get, I can get, I can get in, you know, you know, I can get drawn into to either of those, you know, depending on the presenter. Well, you know, maybe it's a case that we are going to evolve past that binary way of thinking, or, or better yet, that bifurcated way of thinking, 
that there was science and then there was non-science. You know, maybe what this is all leading us to is this mode of perception that's much more holistic. Do you understand what I'm saying? That sure. we're going to be a, a, mm, evolving towards an, a new way of thinking. You know, that, that we're transcending, you know, the, the segmented, special, hyper-specialized, you know, hyper-rational, you know, and don't forget, rational means measurement, right? You know, this, this whole idea that we can understand the world and the processes of the world by just simply measuring them. That's, that's what science is stuck in right now. And that's not accidental. That's very deliberate. That's not the science of people like Isaac Newton, but that's the science we have today, that everything can be understood by fragmenting into working groups and measuring it. You know, that's, that's, we, until we get away from that mindset, we, we're, we're probably going to be inhibited by reaching this, this, this greater understanding. And when you're talking about something as radically challenging to our belief systems and to our worldviews as extraterrestrial intelligence that could have evolved in ways that we don't even understand. You know, we may project our own hyper-rational mindset onto them, but maybe they've gone in a much different direction. Maybe the only way you can go is to transcend those limitations of reductionism. But what I'm saying is that I believe, my personal outlook is that the way we're going to get to an evolutionary stage that transcends this goddamn fucking rut that we're stuck in is going to be, you know, what got us there is this division between fundamentalist, you know, things have evolved to the fundamentalist mindset and then to the fundamentalist hyper-rational mindset, you know, that's this fork in the road that we need to sort of get back to this, you know, on the same highway. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure, and I, sure. I, and I, I think it, that, the, that, that the, you know, the UFO phenomenon is presenting, a, you know, an incredible challenge. And, and somehow it's been well, so... Well, it challenges both those people. You know, both of those opposing poles are equally threatened and equally challenged by this phenomenon. And, and to me, maybe there's something in there. Maybe there's some sort of unconscious recognition that this split, that this bifurcation that we've allowed ourselves to evolve into is not going to be what's going to get us off the planet, which is not going to be which is going to get our problem solved, which is not going to be which is going to allow us to escape our inevitable destruction, uh, you know, from probably from an asteroid or a comet, you know, unless we disperse. I mean, a lot of scientists, Stephen Hawking most recently have said this. But the thing is, is that right now we can't do anything because we're completely paralyzed by this bifurcated, this disjointed mindset that we're stuck in, you know? So maybe, I mean, who knows? I'm not saying that who's ever up there is, is sort of leading us, you know, it's sort of this carrot leading us along this way. But what I'm saying is that neither explanation, you know, neither opposing pull is sufficient in dealing with this phenomenon. You know, it, we're going to have to, we're going to have to sort of, if not harmonize those two opposites, then transcend them, you know, if we are going to try and, and really understand what's going on here. You know, all of these topics that we've discussed are all inherent in that one 
you know, this is all the deep background behind October 13, 2010. You know, sure, it's meandering, it's maddening, you know, uh, sometimes you can just get lost in all these side roads. But this is, this is what is playing in our subconscious minds, you know, when you look up in the sky and see something that you didn't expect, you know, all of this is, is playing into that. You know, and that's why these events are so heavily loaded and why they resonate and why they do explode all across the Internet and the Twitters and the Facebooks and all that kind of thing. Because it resonates so deeply, you know, with all these issues, especially now that we're dealing with. You know, so, I mean, on, on the one hand, I can look at this phenomenon and say this is probably some sort of shenanigans, some sort of skullduggery. But on the other hand, I, I, I can look at it and, and look at the repercussions from it and say, wow, you know, I mean, something as simple as balloons in the sky can resonate on so many different levels because of all these things that we're all grappling with, whether or not we acknowledge it, you know? Yeah, well said. Anyway, that's what I have to say about it all. Good, and I was coming from a place where I was just I was collecting these little data points on on the phenomena or whatever happened on October tenth, or excuse me, October thirteenth, and and just getting lost. You know, and to me, like this story is almost the opposite in some ways of what happened on December tenth or December ninth. I'm sorry, with that spiral over Norway. You know, that no one was expecting. That was just so incredibly bizarre and weird. And, you know, unleash this whole host of, of stories and resonances from that. You know, in, in many ways, it's like the polar opposite of that. Because, you know, Norway in the middle of December, where, you know, anybody in their right mind is locked inside their houses. At 7, to, yeah, whatever, 6.30 in the morning yeah, or whatever it was. Yeah, New York City on a beautiful... Indian summer day, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's fascinating how those... And the one thing yeah. was a projection that was like, you know, f you know, by all rights, fantastic, a fantastic display in the sky that, that uh, I'm still, you know, have no good answer. You know, I've heard every every uh, piece of conjecture from Richard Hoagland to, to uh, you know, the, the Russian uh, State Department or whatever it was that said it was a spiraling out of control missile. You know, that was a, a, an impressive display. And, and, and what people were seeing in the sky in... New York City were by all rights little teeny dots. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, they, there may be anomalous uh, display in there, but it doesn't sound like it was, uh, you know, a giant, you know, psychedelic blue spiral. I know, I know. It's it's interesting. You know, the funny thing is too is that so many people were expecting the big V motherships, you know, because of the way the story was presented. You know, this this whole prediction that this guy put out there. You know, he really made it seem like you know. V was going to be coming true, you know, that these motherships that were a mile wide were going to be hovering over Manhattan. So when people see balloons, they sort of plug that expectation, you know, that the expectations are so strong among some people, you know, even people who was just sort of soaking this up through osmosis, that that amplifies and enlarges the phenomenon that we saw. So, I mean, basically what I'm saying here is that it was a very fascinating day uh, in some ways uh, because it, it sort of told us a lot about, you know, where we are with all of this right now. 
that a lot more people are tuned in than sort of are on the, the blogs and on the uh, message boards and things like that, you know, the more hardcore types, that, that this is resonating with people on a level that may be just below the surface, but I think, you know, very, you know, these still waters are running very deep. Yeah, and I and I suspect that there there's going to be a tipping point at some point where where this stuff is dismissed as an outright you know fringe thing of the of the weirdo zealots you know on the outskirts, and uh, but that I don't have any number. You know, there's going to be a point when 49 turns to 51, uh, as far as the percentage of of people who who are in tune with this kind of stuff, and uh, and I'm just curious what what that'll mean collectively in our society. You know that. But that then may- again. But then again, like what I'm saying before is that, you know, be very, very, all this means to people like you and I who've been following this for a much longer time is that you have to be even more vigilant about it, you know, that, you know, when you have an experience of sort of observing how this sort of ebbs and flows, you know, that it's important to bring that experience to the table when, when events like this happen, you know, that manipulations are are almost certainly you know in the planning stages and at the very least you know you as an individual should not be dragged into it and you as an individual i mean you know you and the people who are listening yeah good all right mike hey uh, this went great this was funny just to do this so so rapid fire and I'll, and I'll uh, you that's know that's why I love the internet you know it's like let's hey let's do a show <laughs> yeah let's you know? do so let's just do it <laughs> Hey, listen, I really, really have to run, though. Good, good week. Okay. Great. This was I'll great. Talk to you soon. Bye now. Bye-bye. Phew. Um, I did not expect this to go down today. Uh, I thought that was really great. I did not foresee this conversation uh, drifting to where, you know, contemplating God. Uh, hey, in the beginning, I, uh, in the very beginning, I said that uh, I was going to post at the end an audio excerpt off of a podcast where they interviewed someone who had uh, seen the events firsthand in the streets of New York. Um, and I'm going to include that right now. Here we go. I'd like to bring on Chris Cowan of Polygraph Radio, who was there witnessing everything that happened yesterday in New York. Um, Chris, do we have you on the line? Yes, I'm here. Excellent, man. Thank you for joining us last minute. Um, just tell us real what exactly happened yesterday. Sure, guys. Good to be with you. Um, well, uh, we were uh, actually we were out shooting a uh, music video all day and um, just kind of running around the city getting outtakes. And um, a friend of ours called, a mutual friend called, who was just shopping down in Midtown, and uh, said, hey, there's, uh, there's UFOs above the, uh, the Empire State Building. And, of course, at first, we're like, yeah, okay, whatever. And um, he's like, no, seriously, there's these glowing orbs, blah, blah. So, and so he said, what the heck, let's go back up to the, the tenth floor of the building and, and um, take a look at the fire escape. And uh, once we get up there, sure enough, it took, it took a second. He had to kind of scan the skies because it wasn't, it wasn't like the you know the mothership was up there or anything. It was it was just these, these very small um, sort of glowing metallic orbs 
I guess that's really the only way I can describe it, um, for, for lack of a better word. But, um, and uh, just let me just say from the start, um, that anybody who says that these things were balloons is, is uh, confused, didn't see them, wasn't there, uh, or was looking at something else, because they were not balloons. I don't care what anybody says. I worked, I worked on A6 intruders in the Marine Corps. I was in the, in the second Marine Air Wing. In 1924, um, and and I was a student pilot, so I have a pretty good bead on this sort of thing. These things were about, I would say, anywhere between 40 and 50,000 feet. Uh, you know, because there's a lot of air traffic over New York City, and so we had plenty of aircraft to use as reference. Okay, and most of these planes are just taken off out of LaGuardia and JFK. So they're around, you know, four or five, six thousand feet, and these things were well underneath uh, whatever these objects were. Um, several of the objects. Uh, at first, we saw a grouping of the objects, and there were maybe. Uh, well, at first, I saw five. People saw more than five. The people who called us, and um, and they were they were appearing and disappearing spontaneously. But by the way, there was no cloud cover at all. It was a clear blue sky. Um, and these things were appearing and disappearing spontaneously. Um, you would get one of the orbs, it would stay completely stationary for a period of, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, while others drifted away from, from those stationary objects. Uh, and so, you know, we watched this. this. This went on for about 45 minutes, and, and at times, you know, all... All five would completely disappear, and then one would just appear in the sky, just just like I said, spontaneously. And then uh, we noticed that there was a lot more air traffic. There was there were several helicopters, and I don't know, I can't say they were up there, you know, checking these things out, because because it was around it was around rush hour, so they could have been you know traffic helicopters or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, towards the end of the whole event, three of these objects appeared and went uh, due west, completely perpendicular to the, to the way the other objects had been traveling previously, in, in sort of a, a formation and traveling at a, at a much higher rate of speed. Um, and they traveled right over our apartment building and, you know, out over the river. So, uh, you know, there is no way, and anybody, it's funny because I did a Google search when I got back uh, to the studio, and I saw this, you know, oh, I saw the strings of the balloons. Get the heck mm. out of here. You didn't see this. Nobody saw the strings of the balloons. It's just outrageous, you know. And so this this was the experience that we had, and, and you know, it was witnessed by thousands of people, um, and, you know, uh, all I can say is that is that these things were not balloons. I don't know what they were. I don't know if they were. You know, all they were is, is sort of the, the basal definition of, of a UFO. Amazing, amazing, um, Chris. I hate to cut yeah. you off. Polygraphradio.com is your website, correct? Absolutely. Okay, excellent. Uh, right now, as I clean this up, it is October twenty-first, just a little over a week after the curious events of October thirteenth, and. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, this was all pure speculation and just you know, rambling on the part of both 
Chris and I, and uh, that guy is pretty darn skilled at, at just running with the ball when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, um, I hope you got something out of this. Uh, who knows what the future will bring? Who knows what's eventually going to unfold from this whole story? Maybe nothing. Maybe it'll just peter out and mean nothing at all. But um, I do agree with Chris where, where something uh, something underlying this whole thing is is very interesting, even if just uh, the, the public perception. If you made it this far, I hope you enjoyed it, and thanks for listening. Bye now. <laughs>